government secrets incoming. Well, are we going to talk about more about UFOs? Because JP Crawford could not be silenced about UFOs yesterday <laughs> on the mic. Oh no! <laughs> uh, he just kept going, him. man. Bless Someone him. needs to just like take the alien movies away from him <laughs> and, and documentaries. I don't think it's the movies that's really getting at him. I think I think, I think he's yeah too embedded in the the internet culture of he's, um, too, he's too online. Who amongst us is not? Yeah. True. We're all guilty of that one sin. It just manifests in different ways. And JP apparently thinks he sees UFOs on Mercer Island. You know, who am I to say no just based on his lack of photographic evidence? Who am I? Those are those are headlights, JP. <laughs> <laughs> this story about it is wild too. He's like, yeah, we couldn't, we couldn't. The cam- what did he say? The camera couldn't focus on it, so that's how we know it was a UFO. I was like, I don't know if that's how it works. Man, but okay. <laughs> Have you ever tried to take a picture of the moon, JP? <laughs> Pretty hard to focus on it. <laughs> Far away. Oh dear. <laughs> here's, our, here's our dear shortstop. All right, oh. we're gonna have a we got a we have a cold open in there somewhere. But welcome to the Meet at the Mint podcast. I am Evan James. We have with us Andrews Jorstad and Zach Mason today. Uh, excited to do episode two. We are off the ground running. As far as I'm aware, uh, I checked the some of the the comments today on the podcast we uploaded earlier today. And it seems that uh, the transition was made seamlessly. So everybody should yes. have made it over. I will know on the back end, checking the stats, uh, whether or not uh, the listens are lower. But I anticipate that everything's been smooth. So happy to have everybody here. Happy it doesn't seem like anyone's been left behind. I even it's used the same picture. Uh, yeah, yeah, it should be. Like, I, yeah, it works for me. Everything is the same. So yeah, if it's, if it's good, it's good. We're good. And uh, that's what we wanted. Uh, my priority when doing this transition was to not have as to have as little interruption as possible for the listeners and zero would seem to meet that criteria. So I'm happy about that. Um, but we have a good show for you guys today. We're going to talk about uh, some sleeper picks that everybody has to click this year. Some, some under the radar uh, guys who could be a really big impact on the team, because we have some idea now of what the 26 man roster is going to be as it's crystallized a little bit. I think there is still some potential uncertainty as it relates to the relief pitchers, but those are the very fringe. We kind of know who the fill-ins for Dylan Moore are going to be at this point. We're going to talk more about that. Um, why don't we kick it off with that right away? Zach, why don't you tell us about uh, a tweet from Luke Arkins today with some juicy information about who might be filling in for Dylan Moore and and, and what he's got going on. Yeah, so uh, Luke Arkins, uh, prolific uh, poster, um, tweeted today about sprint speed and some of the Mariners' sprint speed. And the one that got the eyes emoji was Cooper Hummel. Uh, so the context they put in this tweet is that 27 seconds is average. 30 seconds is elite. Cooper Hummel, 28.9, which I would like to remind everybody that Cooper Hummel is technically a catcher. Uh, <laughs> so I'm really blown away by that. I am not surprised based on the rest of the stuff that I've been seeing, but I mean that fact alone really solidified him for me as being... Uh, my first, uh, we've, we've each got two. He's my first pick to click. Um, I know that the last time I, uh, I was going to say the last time we met at the MIT, but we were not meeting at the MIT yet. We were, we were still on lookout landing. Um, but the last time we spoke, I was a little bit down on Cooper Hummel. Let me say I am fully a member of the Coop troop at this point. I am a hundred percent on board. Um, I think what, what was happening was that I had been kind of scouting the stat line and some of my skepticism had come from that. I had a lot more opportunity to see him lately. And 
I like what I see. I mean, it's it's an easy swing. He's barreling up the ball. He's at, he's at four home runs now. Is that right in in the Cactus League? I believe um, so. Yeah, four home runs. Which maybe that's still the lead. I'm not entirely sure. Like spring training stats, you know, there are like things that matter, things that don't. That's not one of the ones that matters, but it is better than not being in the lead. Um, and it is the kind of results that suggest that the the process that I'm seeing that I like is is real. Um, it's it's an easy swing. There's a lot of, uh, and you know, we, we talk about him as a catcher with this sprint speed, but, um, I like what I've seen in the outfield too. That's uh, making good use of, of the, that sprint speed. He, um, you know, I thought he was a catcher and in part that's because, you know, Depoto and Hollander, they've like, they've got this habit of bringing guys in and then like talking up their versatility that doesn't really exist. You know, it's, it's like a grinder profile, but, uh, you know, there'll be like Tommy Listella. He can still play third base in 2023. Like, yeah, sure. He can. Absolutely. Right. But, uh, Cooper Hummel can actually play the outfield. Uh, did you guys see the sliding catch this weekend? I did see the sliding catch. It was impressive. He's got, some, he's got some real wheels, like not even just on the, you know, like the home base or the 90 foot sprint, but like he's legitimately athletic in the outfield in a way I didn't expect at all. Yeah. You see these guys make these plays that like sort of, I think this happened in the world baseball classic quite a bit. Actually, it's like sort of routine plays that look spectacular because they were like high effort plays because everybody was going at 110%. Uh, but that was like a really actually hard catch that, that he made out there in, in right field. And, you know, as a catcher, I haven't seen him use his arm in the outfield much, but I would assume that that'll work. So yeah, I mean, the, the Dylan Moore injury, I think it opens up some playing time for him. His roster spot seems pretty assured, but yeah, he's my, he's my pick to click. What do you guys think? I think that Cooper Hummel is potentially saving us from some really bad discourse. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if you guys have seen what Kyle Lewis is up to, but he's like tearing it up for the Diamondbacks in spring training so far. And I, of course, I did see that. Did you happen to notice the hardware he's rocking on the knee, though? Well, yeah, but and, and that's the thing, right? It's like, first of all, it's spring training for both of them, for both Lewis and for Hummel. So who knows? But, uh, you know, I don't think it was really a question ever of whether the, whether Kyle Lewis would be a good baseball player. It was whether he would be able to be a baseball player. So um, anyway, Cooper Hummel, I, I'm I'm glad that you're finally aboard the train, Zach. I'm I'm welcoming you on aboard this train. Uh, better late than never, I suppose. What were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say, you know, I'm super ex- excited about Cooper Hummel and what he could be, but. Um... You know, I'm very much still rooting for Kyle Lewis to succeed. I think we all are. And I think you're right. Like, it's not just the discourse being spared of like, oh, this was a trade that failed. But like, it allows us to feel good about Kyle Lewis's success to the extent that he has it. You know, it's like, that's the real gift. And and this is one of the things why, like, you know, I, and I said this last time, but the Mariners seem to have purposely targeted Cooper Hummel. It wasn't like they were just like shipping off Lewis because his contract was so big and they had to get rid of him right like i i was of the opinion for you know the last couple of years even that lewis's value was highest to the mariners and i thought they were going to hang on to him because i didn't think any other team had any reason to give up anything of value for lewis whereas you know the mariners could just hang on to him until he hopefully got healthy one day and then find out what happens from there but i guess they got lucky because the Diamondbacks did have interest in him, and the Mariners found someone that they, you know, had an eye had their eye on, and and it was a match. Um, but yes, I think Cooper Hummel is a fantastic pick to click. I think I said 
I, I've said a couple things about him. One of which was I think he'll have a 120 WRC plus this year. Um, that was like one of my bold takes on on Twitter. That's, when that's I was a bold take. <laughs> yeah, and, and and it's it's bold, but it's not like out of the world bold. You know, I'm not saying he's going to be like 140, 150. That would be out of out of the realm of possibility, really, unless you're Joey Manessis. But um, I and another one of the things I said was I think he will be the starting DH by June. Do you yeah. think that that's an accurate depiction of what his role will be? Oh, I think absolutely. That's a big part of what makes me high on him is that the DH role is so unsettled. Like that's a real opportunity. It's, it, it's one thing to be like playing well and trying to sort of force your way into the lineup. But like, he makes so much sense on the 26 man roster because he can catch and play backup outfield. And then, yeah, I think he's going to be DHing most days. If if it's working out, that's definitely what's going to. He's in a position to get a ton of playing time, like almost regardless of where it is, whether it's as a third string catcher, DHing, uh, first base here and there, a little time in the corner outfield spots. Like the dude can play. I had expected, and this is no offense to Cooper Hummel and his profile, but um, how should I put this? I expected somebody more Abe Toro um jake bowers-esque kind of like you know a good athlete but not someone whose tools pop so much and jerry actually said that on the radio today he said that his tools are louder than they expected and to me that's like he's less of just a raw good athlete and more of a baseball player and he's playing good baseball as a result and you know when you have somebody like jake bowers he's technically athletic enough and technically strong enough to do everything but it never really comes together for him can't quite hit enough Defense isn't quite natural enough to take advantage of all the athleticism. Cooper Hummel seems to be doing all of those things, and he appears to be a little bit of a diamond in the rough. And I am, you know, everybody knows that I'm on Kyle Lewis's bench, his team, whatever the, the fan club is. I'm number one oh, there. I just love Kyle Lewis. I'm so happy to see him smiling, hitting home runs in Arizona. I couldn't be more thrilled about that. I think the Mariners moved on from him because they were convinced he was never going to play in the outfield again. And we're seeing the guy he was at the plate, which it makes me very happy. And I'm, I feel good about that because I feel validated that this is who he is and this is who he always was. But he's, I don't see the knee still. Um, I don't know what he was rocking, but he had something underneath the pants today, some kind of device. And, Easy. Uh, Easy. <laughs> Watch the footage, though. <laughs> I don't know what he has on. It appears to be a, a large brace. Um, but he's still pretty ginger out there. The Mariners obviously have a DH need, which is where Cooper Hummel's going to play. But I feel good that the Mariners ultimately went with a guy who might be more of a Swiss Army knife, especially now that Dylan Moore is down, especially now that we might be needing somebody to fill in more. And the fact that he clocked in faster than Dylan Moore is kind of insane, honestly. Like, it's crazy, Dylan yeah. Dylan yeah. Moore is wildly considered to be the, like, what, the second or maybe third fastest player on the team. Well, Leo. I mean, he's considered to be the second or third best base runner, which is like a okay, different correct. thing than, space, than sprint speed. You know, Evan That's White, I think, is even faster at, like, top speed. But um, Oh, man, wouldn't that be something? Whew. Dare to dream on that. Can I say one more thing about Cooper Hummel? And then we should probably, for the sake of time, move on to, to somebody else's pick. Um, Absolutely. I just, especially because we gave up Kyle Lewis for him, which was like a real heartbreaker. Everybody, like, I think the consensus was, yeah, this had to happen, but it makes us sad. I love that Cooper Hummel is so easy to root for because he's a Seattle guy. I mean, the... When he came over, it was very quickly unearthed that tweet he had about believing in Brad Miller, which is like funny on a number of levels, but definitely demonstrated like he 
he is, you know, steeped in Mariner fandom as as a child. Did you guys see uh, Shannon Dreyer tweeted that his mom sent Dreyer a photo of her interviewing Cooper Hummel on the field before a game in like, you know, 2009 or something when Cooper Hummel was in high school? Like, it's cute. It's great. He talked the other day about like the trim in his room was painted teal. I mean... He's just like us, and that's very heartwarming to me. It's very, I'm very excited to root for him. He's just like us for real, for real. Yeah, I don't know if he's a star yet, but he's, you know, a uh, a potential star who's just like us. He has all the makings of a hometown hero a little bit, right? Like maybe in like the Jay Buhner mold, if he was really successful and the Mariners made some noise this year, I could see it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Well, Durs, why don't you give us, uh, give us your first pick to click your under the radar dark horse, as it were. Yeah, I was going to say, so I kind of took this exercise a little bit differently, and not that I'm saying there's anything wrong with the way Zach took it. Um, but Better I wanted, not be. <laughs> I kind of wanted to shed some light on some guys who I don't think I've talked about really this this offseason. I don't know how much people here at Lookout Landing have talked about much this, this season, or this winter, rather. Um, so my first guy is reliever, I guess technically prospect, Isaiah Campbell. Um, and Isaiah Campbell, if you don't know much about him, he was drafted out of the University of Arkansas as a second round pick. Um, so he was an SEC starter, was expected to be like, you know, one of the Mariners top starting pitching prospects. And he just had like a number of elbow issues, could not get on the mound for a couple seasons. And for a while, a lot of people were wondering if he was really going to put his career, I guess, even to start with because he just hadn't gotten on the mound. And immediately the Mariners finally got him um, some time in high A ball. It was in 2021 when they finally got him on the mound. He was coming out of the bullpen. And they tried him as a starter a little bit last year, but ended up sticking him back in the bullpen where he had a ton of success. So in high A last year, and then he got up to double A Arkansas where he uh, relieved in 14 games. And his K per nine was 16 last season in Arkansas with a walk rate uh, up per nine of under two, um, which is really, really nice to see. This is a guy who was a four pitch guy, but is now purely, you're going to be shocked to hear this fastball slider only (laughs) out of the bullpen. We've never heard that before. Um, And he's throwing in the high nineties. So I'm a couple times in spring training this, this year and he's looked really good. Uh, And I'm just hearing some really, really good things. Didn't they? Yes, so he he will not start the season uh, in Seattle. I, I did think there was like kind of a a tiny chance that they would do that. I think it would take some some injuries for him to have started the season in Seattle, but I think he's going to start in Tacoma. I don't know if they've announced that or not, so that's just my guess without having heard anything yet. I believe um, they've reassigned him to Double A. Oh, I think they like their their pitchers that they're high on pitching in Double A because the park is like much more of a confidence builder than having to pitch in the PCL. Yeah, it's like that's we, a good you know, one. but they did have Logan Gilbert and and George Kirby each throw in Tacoma before they got to Seattle, which no, was well, no, one start really. a piece. Keep in mind, well, one, literally one start a piece. So, I yeah, mean, because they, they didn't spend meaningful time there to start last year. Kirby was in in Arkansas, and then when they sent him down for one start to sort of like reset his innings around the All Star break, they sent him to Tacoma. But that's, that's very true. different. Like, here's your development station. 
That's you know? true. That's a good point. Okay, so yeah, so I'll take I'll, I'll take the L on that one. But I, wait, wait, no, no, no. I'm just saying I think it's a good thing that they like it is a it is a reason to be bullish on him that they have sent him to Double A. Like Triple A is where like Tommy Malone and Justice Sheffield hang out. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, the Mariners right. have used Triple A more as a repository for like potential major league fill in guys, and Double A is where they put their good prospects. You're correct. Well, and and I I think that's kind of what Isaiah Campbell is going to be. I think he's going to come up at some point in the summer. I think it will be a summer day, so it'll be after June 21st, I guess. And he'll come up and he'll be like a really good reinforcement for someone getting injured, or maybe he'll have forced their hand by then. And I think that by the end of the season, he is going to be one of the trusted guys at the back end of the bullpen, kind of like how Matt Brash was last year. He he was a prospect, and you know, by the by the, by the time the playoffs came around, he was one of the few relievers who the Mariners were putting in in important situations. And I kind of see that being the future for Campbell this year. So that is a guy, you know, if you're following the minor league stats at all, or if you're following uh, MLB Mar- MILB Mariners on Twitter at all, that is a guy who I would look out for in the early months of uh, of the season. Love that pick. Great pick. Uh, it also must be said, he's one of the many great gifts that Carlos Santana gave the Mariners. Yes. Uh, because I believe the pick that we used to get him was acquired from Cleveland when Carlos Santana uh, was a part of the J.P. Crawford deal from Philadelphia, mm-hmm. and then we flipped him to Cleveland within a month uh, and got Edwin Encarnacion and the pick that we used for Isaiah Campbell. So yep. Carlos Santana, once again. I, I did not know that. Wow. Isaiah Campbell's really interesting because, like you said, Durs, he's thrown in the high 90s, fastball slider now. Um, I think, like you said, Zam, the fact that he's in double A is good. They put their good pitchers there. I don't know what it is. They just don't want to seem to expose the prospects to the potential of getting shelled like you can in the PCL. Uh, do I believe in that? I mean, you definitely have better hitters in the PCL, but, you know, like whatever. Um <laughs> this summer, yeah, I definitely could see Campbell making some noise. I, man, I held out hope for him as a starter for a really long time, just prospect watching because yeah, me too. he was really cool mm-hmm. uh, in mm-hmm. the College World Series, right? He lit it up. So, um, That's his highlights correct. are. I, I believe, I believe he won a College World Series with Arkansas. Yes. Uh huh. And his highlights from that series are spectacular. And when he was drafted, there was a lot of thought that the Mariners had kind of gotten a steal in his spot and that if he could stick in the the rotation that he was going to be really interesting. Obviously, it didn't really work out that way, but he joins a cadre of young Mariners prospects who are potentially moving from the rotation to the bullpen to help the team this year that are throwing some gas. Um, and the other guy is Prelander Baroa. Oh, yeah. And Durs is under the radar guy for a while now. Durs, did you get to Which, see any of him when you were at spring training? Uh, I, yes, he did actually come into one game while I was there. And this is another guy who I've been talking about a lot, so I didn't want to use him as a pick to click. But I am in love with Prelander Baroa. I, I remember when we got him for Donovan for Donovan Walton. And like a week or two later, we started seeing like ridiculous highlights and ridiculous stat lines that he was putting up. And I was like, what the hell were the Giants thinking? Because that is not that is not a dumb organization. That is not an organization you're going to swindle, right? But I guess everybody is prone to making like really weird moves every now and again. Um, and what did they need Donovan Walton for, right? Like they weren't competing. They why did they so desperately need like a fourth string middle infielder? Because that is all the Giants do is they they get quad <laughs> A guys and make them into like three win players. That's like their specialty. Yeah. Um, well. Didn't work out so much with Donnie. <laughs> no, but it was a smart move by by Seattle because they know what they can develop, and they have in fact developed Prelander Baroa. And Evan, you you told me, uh, us 
you know, earlier today that Jerry hinted that he would be a starter this year still. No, I don't know if that's what I took from the quote. The specific question was who on the Mariners is likely to be this year's George Kirby, the prospect that comes up, takes a not necessarily a rotation spot, but is very meaningful from a wins perspective and from a value added perspective over what we might be expecting. And Jerry's answers were Bryce Miller and Prelander Baroa. Bryce Miller is obviously a starting pitcher. I think we all agree the organization has been pretty candid about him continuing to be a starting pitcher and potentially usurping that role when it's time. Uh, I think there is more of an open question with Prelander. They're going to, they sent him out to double A, I believe, right? I'm, I'm pretty sure he's in Arkansas. So he's going to be starting where their other good prospects are, are pitching. Um, they're going to see how he looks. If he's wild, kind of the same way Matt Brash was starting off last year, I think that they fast track him to the pin. But I don't know. Um, Jerry has on multiple occasions this year, uh, the offseason during his interviews kind of raved about the fastball, um, you know, his secondary pitches being advanced for where he's supposed to be at and him really not being a work in progress, but being close to a finished product that they want to take a look at. And it really surprised me because he wasn't the name I expected to hear. The Mariners have Emerson Hancock, who is still technically like the chosen one, the first round draft pick, the high investment for this team. Not just the first round draft pick, but like the one year we actually had a high draft pick. He was number six overall. I mean, that was our 2019 losing season. That was the fruits of that. (laughs) He's a very real investment for the team. And we, I the team doesn't talk about him that much. It's not that they don't like him. I don't think at all, but he has been, you know, it's much like we saw last year with George Kirby. It's not even that Matt Brash was so underwhelming. It's that George Kirby came and usurped and owned it. And Bryce Miller seems destined to own that fifth spot. No offense to anybody who's pitching for it right now. Mm -hmm. Um, But that makes it really interesting because all of a sudden you've got these gas throwers. You've got Campbell throwing 95, 97. You've got Prelander Broa throwing 97, 98. You've got, and that's not even including Munoz and Brash, who are on the team, and Paul Seawald, who was the closer last year and was incredible, or two years ago, excuse me, but was great last year as well, kind of in the in the veteran closer role. So there's like the bullpen for this team, I think, could go nuclear to the right situation. And I, I just want to say that the reason that I take that quote to mean that he is going to be a starter is because Jerry could have just very easily said that Prelander Bro would be this year's Matt Brash, right? Because Matt Brash did exactly what we kind of expect Baroa will do, which is, you know, be a guy who gets switched from the rotation to the bullpen, fast tracks his way up, and basically does what I said Isaiah Campbell would do this year, you know, makes his way into the big league bullpen as like a, a major gas thrower as a big weapon. Um, but the fact that he considered I don't and I don't know if that's just like the spirit of the question he didn't want to like change the parameters of the question he just wanted to name guys who he thought would make a big impact but yeah well if there's one thing Jerry Depoto is famous for it's really like honestly answering the question that was asked so <laughs> right I, yeah <laughs> that's true oh and, and Evan told us to to guess who who Jerry said and and my I thought he would have said Dollard instead of Baroa because they've been talking up Taylor Dollard like you know, pretty significantly. Um, they've been, t- there's been a lot of apparently internal comparisons to Colin McHugh, which is like kind of a swingman style role. I likened him to Chris Flexen to, to you guys, where I said that I thought that maybe, you know, if there were injuries and he, he gets called upon quickly, I could see maybe like a 2021 Flexen type season where he has, you know, not like amazing peripherals, but good results. Um, and they could they could shove him back into the bullpen if they had to. Uh, 
So I, I think that that's, you know, between those four pitchers, or is that five? I've lost track. I think between those four pitchers, we have a really exciting group of guys who will all likely contribute to the big league club this year. And it's really anyone's guess who will be first to get the call and who will have the most impact. Well, I think Isaiah Campbell really has the inside track because they've already decided he's going to be a reliever, which I think is a result of him having so much trouble getting on the mound in the first place. They were like, all right, let's, let's cut our losses. Let's not try to develop, you know, all four pitches. Let's just make him a reliever. He's been very good so far. Like, I think it is the right call to try and keep I, Miller for sure. And I think Baroa too, like, keep your options open. Um, I think that's that's given Campbell the sort of the inside track in my view. Yeah, well, the Mariners sh- certainly don't need to rush Prelander Baroa, right? I feel like to some degree there was a little bit of a sense of urgency with Matt Brash. Yeah, I agree. Because he, he was so talented. The Mariners at that point, point really needed some extra bullpen help now we do not have that sense of urgency right so they can really just let baroa cook <laughs> as it were in, in double a um and and if he's going to be a starter they can give him the time that he needs to develop and they don't need to fast track him to the bullpen just because they need you know a fresh arm at, you know in the later innings um and i think that that's definitely a benefit for his development and i, I am bummed that you know, the deal with Matt Brash was that if he wanted to pitch for Team Canada, he could not be a starter. I don't really understand that, first of all, because um, it's like a different like, something about that does not strike me as correct. Like, I, 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 think I heard I can it. explain that. Yeah, please. Because it, it's yeah, like something ahead. does not add up. I don't think the Mariners want Matt Brash to start. I think it was his idea to start and to come into spring training to start and to have a new pitch and to do that. I think that they are more than happy with what he did last year and would be more than comfortable with him staying in that role, especially with how Bryce Miller and Prelander Barroa have looked lately. And especially with Chris Flexion throwing harder, like they just, they just rather not have more competition for that spot and, and jerk him around. They just rather, I don't think it was even like a real bargain. I think it was organizationally. They were looking for a reason to tell him that you're in the bullpen and he gave (laughs) one. Is that fair? I, that would make sense. Because, because as a, if we if we take him for his word, that's a rationalization. You're basically saying you're capping his innings by a significant amount in 2023, based on the difference of throwing like five innings in the World Baseball Classic, right? Because even the starters did not throw very much in the World Baseball Classic. They threw like three innings at a time, and they maybe started two or three times if their team did well. And Canada did not do well, so he would have had one start for like three innings versus like one or two relief appearances at one inning. So. Yeah, well, but the, you know, the Mariners care a lot about like the up down where you pitch an inning, go back to the dugout and then come back out and pitch again. They really try to avoid that with their with their pitchers where they can. I think Matt Brash is a guy they feel more comfortable with than others. But I can see like the risk of him doing that, you know, three times where he's going, you know, three or four innings like that's that's one of the things they track. It's not just total innings pitched or or total pitches thrown, which, you know, I make sense to me as a thing to track. And they have had um, atypically good uh, pitcher health, um, perhaps pitcher health luck, but they're, you know, caring more about these other ways of preventing injury as well. Yeah, they've had good pitcher luck for two years in a row now. And obviously before that, it had been much spottier. And so I'm, I'm hesitant to make any declarations about they figured something out that other people have not. But they have a very recent, very current track record of good pitcher health, good pitcher management. The fact that they got George Kirby and Logan Gilbert through all of last year and they're still looking good this year, like was a big deal. George Kirby threw 
George Kirby threw fewer than 80 innings as a minor leaguer before he came in and threw damn near one, 200 last year. Like, it's, well, 130. One, one, okay, so 130. But even so, he basically doubled his innings load that he had thrown the previous two, if not three seasons, if you want to include the 2020 season in there. Uh, yeah. Just wild. That we don't do that normally. That's a very abnormal situation. And I definitely gritted my teeth that last start, even though Ooh. he's just nails, man. Like he, he pitched, he struck out I, uh, eight yesterday in four innings. Is that right? I, yeah, I would put that ALDS performance up against any playoff pitching performance I've seen. I mean, taking into account that it was not just any playoff team, but the Astros in particular, like beautiful. I'm watching the clock though. Let's let's move to our next pick because I think we have. Diverted past Isaiah Campbell at this point. Well, well was uh, was was Burrow your pick, Evan, or do you have a, a different pick? No, Burrow is not my pick. But let's uh, let's do let's finish you guys before we come back to me. So, Zane, why don't you do your next pick here? All right, I was very tempted to go with Jared, but this is like occasionally not the Meet at the Mitt podcast, but the Jared Kelnick <laughs> podcast. Um, I am very happy though that we all survived the freak out when he was pulled from a game with what turned out to be mild quad tightness. I do have an idea that we should make T-shirts. Let's say I survived Jared Kelnick overdoing leg day 2023. <laughs> well, um, I think it really should be like I survived the Jared Kelnick discourse winter 2023. Well, the great Kelnick scare. <laughs> Did anybody really survive the Kelnick discourse, though? Uh, it also made me very curious how much we think he squats. So can we can we pause and, and answer that question? I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm betting for he said something about doing single leg presses of 320 on the radio. Oh, uh, right. I don't, it oh, was a specific geez. exercise. So like, I don't know exactly what that correlates to, but it was a lot. It was heavier than any one of us are doing. That's for sure. Unreal. Uh, the next time lookout landing has someone in the clubhouse, we need to ask around and find out who's squatting the most. Um, I want to go on record and say, my guess is Matt Festa. Oh, I was gonna say it's obviously Cal Raleigh, but maybe not. You're right on the catchers. I'm pretty sure it's Tom Murphy. I know he does the biggest curls. He does hundred pound curls, which is insane. Like his, his form can't be good on that. That's <laughs> I can't even imagine. All right. Well, uh, my pick to click, uh, not a sleeper pick, but a pick to click Robbie Ray. Um, you guys touched on this for like a hot second on the podcast that you recorded yesterday. I want to talk about it in a little more detail. If you missed the reports, uh, his first outing, he was, averaging he was sitting at 95 miles per hour uh and in his start on sunday he was 95 to 97 um i said with cooper hummel you know spring training stats we all know like not that important pitcher velocity when they have increased their velocity is something to keep an eye on that is a real skill change that is meaningful and for robbie ray to get up from 92 to 94 to Instead, being at 95 would be, I mean, that would be a huge deal for him. Um, he, but look, let's, let's step back and talk about like how Robbie Ray as a pitcher works, right? He is primarily, for most of his career, a two-pitch pitcher. And he, his slider is his best pitch. It's all about setting up that slider with his four-seam pass ball. And He's really like a swinging strikes guy. That's where he's in, you know, the top 10% or so of starters. He's not really a called strikes guy because he doesn't have much command. There's just so much life on that fastball. And 
His big breakout in 2021, when he won the Cy Young Award, was to just aim for the middle of the zone, which is like not something you would advise most guys to do. But because he lacks that command, if he throws it towards the middle of the zone, it will be in the zone most of the time. And it's like a little bit all over the place. It is not a beautiful chart. It does not look like George Kirby's. But there's so much life on that fastball that it's like very often ends up on the edges. And even when it sits in the middle, like if he's throwing it fast, people will swing through it most of the time. Um, when he's not, and even you know, occasionally when he is, guys will really square him up, which is why he has this like contact pro- management problem, and why when guys do connect, they hit so much for so much power against him and are able to like barrel it up. Why he's giving up the you know in the top five every year for most home runs surrendered. But so the key really is for him to be throwing the fastball fast. I know it sounds like sort of stupid because that's true for everybody, but that's why it's such a big deal for Robbie Ray because that that aiming for the middle of the zone is really why he's able to like get all of these strikeouts and keep his walk rate down, which is how he becomes like a Cy Young winner. Um, I made this chart for uh, his 40 and 40, which I keep reposting on Twitter for my, you know, 25 followers there showing his fastball velocity tracked against his strikeout rate over his starts in 2022. And it's not perfect, but it is more correlated than for most pitchers. And that's when his like best outings were when he was sitting 94. So this, this could be a real like lookout. Robbie Ray at 95 is an ace. That's, that's my pitch on Robbie Ray as a breakout. He looks to be better at the thing that matters most for his success. Did we did we not kind of get the whip around on his velo last year too? I feel like there were times where he was hitting what he's hitting in spring training, right? He threw a pitch at 97 miles an hour exactly once. He broke the 97 mile an hour barrier exactly once. He threw 96 and a half or better eight times out of 1200 fastballs that he threw. Oh wow. He hit it several times on Sunday. Like this is a this is a real improvement. He did not average, it depends on which source you're using, whether he averaged 94 or 95 in a couple of starts. Some say he never got to 95. Some say he got to 95 three times. But those were his best three outings, too. He struck out, like, you know, those were all, like, 10 strikeout over six inning appearances. So what you're saying is that the top four Cy Young finalists are all on the Seattle Mariners. You heard it here first. You know... It's not impossible, and I feel like we're going to be talking about if George Kirby <laughs> is the Mariners' best pitcher very soon. I think Evan, that is you, a discussion you, we have. Evan, you've been so deeply Mariners-pilled that I envy you. Just about certain things. There are other things that I could see going much more awry than I always let on, but I believe in George Kirby and Julio a lot, and that goes a so. long way. Yeah. Like that's That's kind of a big deal right there. Um, George Kirby, Jerry laid out this anecdote in that very same question when he was asked about, you know, like uh, who could be the next George Kirby. He said, no offense, but nobody, because George Kirby was the second most valuable pitcher in the American League in war last year behind Justin Verlander post all-star break. Uh, it's true. He was a rookie. That's like outrageous. Outrageous. Uh, did you happen to read my article about George Kirby? Evan? I did. I did. Yeah. And it just see, this is why I'm Mariners pill because I've read all this stuff. I'm indoctrinated with this propaganda. I know that George Kirby is special and I can't, I can't deny it. But in terms of Robbie Ray, 
Um, I'm really excited because the last time he threw harder, more consistently, he was essentially twice as valuable. His Cy Young season in 2021, he was worth 3.9 wins by Fangraphs. Last year, he was worth 1.8 by Fangraphs for Seattle. He's basically twice as good, uh, twice as valuable in any case, even if it's you know very marginal because he threw roughly the same amount of innings. So yeah, like if the Mariners pulled two extra wins out of Robbie Ray, and they got Luis Castillo in this rotation and George Kirby, like I, I what am I not supposed to feel good about Durs? What 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 am I what am I missing? Where where's my pessimism coming from? <laughs> no, I, it's, it's just funny that you like I said the Mariners would have the top four Cy Young finalists jokingly, and then you were like, well. Actually, do you not think I think about this every day? Do you? I, not? I just, <laughs> I just think you're forgetting about the 14 other teams that would be competing for those those spots, and they also True. have good pitchers. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, damn it! <laughs> <laughs> Kyle Geller just picked Robbie Ray in the Lookout Landing Fantasy Draft as we were talking. He's oh, nice! Next pick, two picks away. <laughs> like he's listening to me. Well, he may be. You know, we're in, we're on an open channel right now. I guess that's right. Maybe he's in here. Kyle, hello. Uh, yeah, look, I mean, I, while you guys were talking, I was trying to think of something about like, you know, they call fastballs cheese, like what kind of cheese Robbie Ray is throwing it when he's like at 95, 96. And I did not come up with something good. So if you guys have something, that's like a good sharp cheddar right there. Yeah, it's it's well, but it's not sharp is the thing. (laughs) It's like, well, it's sharp because like Robbie is just like a very like aggressive person. You know, like mm-hmm. I would not, I would not call a fastball from George Kirby or Logan Gilbert to be sharp cheddar. Like even if they're throwing it kind of hard, they just like have more per- personable. And I guess I'm not trying to say Robbie Ray's a jerk, but he's 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 much more aggressive. You know, he's he's like a Max Scherzer kind of, but from the left side. We heard Ty France mic'd up the other day saying he's got a an alter ego name too, like uh, uh, Logan Gilbert being Walter. They. They just call him Bob, which is a lot less creative. But that's yep. like Bobby uh, Ray's pitching game. Bob? Yeah, <laughs> it's also it's also not as like it's not as dramatic, right? It's not like fireball or like I, I don't know. I feel like you need something more dramatic. Bob, but Walter is like a full alter ego. Bob is more just like a different state of mind. He's when he's Bob when he's on the mound. But Walter is is very different. Walter has no recognition of Logan. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. All right. Well, uh, a call to the listeners: if you if you come up with a cheese thing for this tweet at me my immediate reaction was that george kirby throws a nice swiss and logan is more of a havarti cheese but uh, yes i think that is mm-hmm. accurate mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i like well, it what, what what does that make uh what does it make luis castillo Ooh, uh, a little pepper jack a little spicy i was yeah. gonna say yeah <laughs> yeah you know those like those cheeses that they like put the it's like i don't know i find it gross when they put the peppers like actually in the cheese you see that? It's, it's no good. But um, that's the good stuff. That's the that's the good Tillamook right there. That's you know, oh, man. I, I tell you guys, you know, out here in D.C., whenever I see a Tillamook, anything in the fridge, I grab it. Oh, same. Oh man, you got it. It's like a, I, a, I don't know. It's like a, I'm I'm hoarding when I see Tillamook here. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're talking to the D.C. bureau here. I, I do want to say, Zach, that I, I I take slight offense to you calling yourself the junior Washington correspondent because you're actually the junior junior Washington correspondent, and I'm the I'm the senior junior Washington correspondent. You're the DC bureau chief. Do not downgrade <laughs> yourself. 
I was just taking it in senatorial terms, you know, or or the the senior is the one who is elected first. No, no, no. We're we're a news organization, and like every serious news organization, we have a DC bureau, and you are the DC bureau chief. You need to get it on your business card. I'll, I'll wear that proudly. Vox Media DC bureau chief. I like it. Or actually, <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, well, Durst, why don't you give us your second um pick to click here? Okay, so I'm gonna go well off the beaten path of where we've been. Um, because pre pod discussion, the three of us had said that we could use either major leaguers or minor leaguers. Um, and I wanted to take one of each. Uh, Campbell being my major leaguer because I think he's going to pitch in the big leagues. So therefore, you can deduce that this next player will be someone I do not think is going to pitch the big leagues this year. But I do think that they are someone that is worth monitoring. Um, whether that's because they'll be pitching for the Cincinnati Reds in 2026 after we trade them for uh, <laughs> Jonathan India, or whether they're still on the Mariners somehow, uh, that remains to be seen. But my second pick to click is Walter Ford. Um, this the is vanilla missile. That's right. And I, st- <laughs> you know, for a long time, I tried to decide whether I thought the vanilla missile thing was was endearing or annoying. And I'm falling on the annoying side now because I just think it's it's just like, uh, you know, I I bet that like he's, that he's kid, a 20 year old. He lacks restraint. You know, cut him not a break. Even. he will he will figure it out. He's actually, uh, I think, going to be 18 this season, which oh, is come on. Yeah. He, <laughs> yeah, I also did not know how to tell a joke at 18 years old. He'll he'll get it together. It's true. But. That's part of the reason why he's so excited. The Mariners drafted him last year at 17 years old, I believe in the third round. Um, and he has been getting a lot of like chatter in the prospect community this winter um, as like someone to look out for. And this is not a guy who even has thrown an inning in the organization yet because he was drafted straight out of high school. They wanted to limit his workload, so they just let him kind of chill in Arizona, get some coaching, and then develop this winter. But I don't know if you guys saw him pitch bullpens in spring training there was like a video of him throwing and someone commented and said you know looks just like tim lincecum and he said that's exactly what i'm going for like he was he was my idol growing up um and that's like the guy i model my game after so if you go and you find that video you can see him pitching and he looks exactly like tim lincecum now that can be both exciting and terrifying at the same time because as we know (laughs) tim lincecum had like two glorious seasons that went out in a burst of flame but you know, if that's what we get from Walter Ford, that would certainly be, you know, I would welcome back-to-back Cy Young seasons if we never see him again. Um, that said, this is a guy with a four-pitch repertoire. He's got the standard fastball, curveball, slider, changeup. I am sure the Mariners will work to develop that slider more um, as they are want to do. But his stuff is just, like, super, super interesting. He He's already throwing in the high 90s, um, which is kind of unusual for a Mariners draft pick. You think of, like, the George Kirby mold where they drafted him and he was throwing like low to mid nineties and then they ramped him up. So I wonder if like, there's any sort of like upward mobility with his velo from here, if he's going to get to a point where he's like, you know, Hunter green in terms of mile per hour with the fastball where he's like regularly touching over a hundred. Now that, did, you know, the, did he go to gas camp? Did they send him to the, the high performance, like uh ad, ad velo to that fastball a, camp? Great question. I don't know the answer, and I probably should have looked up before I had it as my pick to click. But I, I want to say he was, but you know, don't don't quote me. I'll Google that. while you talk. Thank you. Um, but yeah, this is a guy who we're going to get to see him. Presumably, I would guess he would be starting in you know extended spring training first because he's you know going to be eighteen. He hasn't thrown an inning in pro ball yet. I kind of 
I'd be a little surprised if they start him right at Modesto to begin the year, but I guess they did, they did that with Michael Morales last year, who was kind of like last year's Walter Ford. Um, but I think at some point he will get time in Modesto, re- regardless of whether he starts there or not. Um, and I'm just going Walter to be very being interested. what the uh, just like camp. Well, yeah, extended extended spring training, which is what they do a lot with the high school guys. They they just leave them in Arizona. They pitch against games against each other um, before you know the ACL starts. And at that point, you know, they, they might have him throw a couple of games there and then reassign him. That's kind of what I would see the trajectory being. But, you know, again, anything's possible. Um, I'm just very interested to see, you know, what a season of his is like, because there is a there is a world where like he sets Modesto on fire and like shoots up prospect boards and all of a sudden becomes like a super interesting pitching prospect at a really young age. Um, if we're, if we're talking about guys who like could be on the BA top 100 this time next year, I think this is one guy who is like at the top of that list of potential guys. So, um, this is a guy who I think you should be paying attention to this season. Uh, you know, as hopefully the Mariners make it not a requirement to pay attention to the minor leagues this year, but, um, he's a guy who you can keep tabs on. Uh, he did go to gas camp, uh, with Orlando Barroa and Isaiah Campbell and, uh, Michael Morales, all of whom we've talked about. Yeah. So but this is like for those who are like not minor league uh, hounds, this is like the high performance camp is uh, where the Mariners send the prospects. They really think it is worth investing more of their time in. Like, obviously, they have training plans for all of their minor leaguers, but this is where they like want them really under their direct supervision and guidance. It's where they send Jonathan Class A and Harry Ford and Starlin Aguilar, Cole Young, who was last year's first round draft pick. So, um, it's a sign that the Mariners believe in him too. Zam, you said the name, so I feel like I gotta I gotta kick it off from here. Go on. My pick to click is Yonatan Class A. I apologize if my pronunciation wow. is bad. Yonatan Class A. I considered him, so I'm glad that you picked him. Yeah, he was drafted, or I should say he was signed by the Mariners uh, in 2018. So he's been kicking around the organization for a while, I believe, with their their international academy. Uh, he's finally gonna get a full proper minor league season this year. Although I think he played just a little bit last year in uh high a, if I could be wrong about that, but uh, if he hits, he could be in double a this summer and he has a little demo in his profile. He's incredibly jacked, but relatively small. Uh, he's only five, eight. He's really interesting. He's super fast, plays good defense, more power than you would expect. I'm really curious to see what a full year looks like from him against more advanced competition. He's been a little bit of a sleeper pick for a couple of years now. And like, obviously 2018 was five years ago at this point. So, um, you know, it's kind of time to, to see whether or not he's really going to live up to that pedigree, but he's a really interesting guy. And, um, I'm, he's a name that I heard quite a few of the Mariners, uh, player personnel say during various interviews this spring. And I didn't expect that. I didn't, you know, you never really know who they're going to point out as having caught somebody's eye. And I heard a little bit of him. So I'm intrigued. I'm I'm definitely intrigued by him. Well, they added him to the 40 man. He was, he was rule five eligible this off season. And so yes. they added him. And this is like, you know, the 2022, 2023 off season Mariners are not in a position to be just like handing out 40 man spots. They've got a little bit of a crunch. They've got a lot of good prospects. They've like got a real like competitive team they're trying to field. Um, so to give a forty man spot to a guy who has, uh, you know, functionally never hit above what like high A at least, I think really uh, low A, that's a big deal. They, I, I'm not surprised they're talking about him. They clearly believe. Well, it's and and that's kind of when I was super surprised 
and and that's kind of when I raised my eyebrows because I I've been interested in in Jonathan Classe for the last couple of years, but I would not say he was someone who I really thought was you know going to be a high impact player. But when they added him to the forty man, it was like oh like they really think something of this guy because he's twenty years old and as you mentioned has not played above Modesto, hasn't even touched Everett yet. So the fact they put him on the 40-man means that they thought someone was going to take him and start him in the big leagues this season, because that's the only reason why they would need to do that. And it's notable that they chose to protect him when they did not choose to protect their minor league hitter of the year this season who played in AAA, which is uh, Robert Perez Jr. Um, Well, I guess Robert Perez Jr. played mostly in Everett, but he touched AAA. Um, So I think that's pretty notable that like they found Class A to be more worth protecting than some of their other higher up players who presumably would be more likely to succeed in the big leagues and thus be claimed by someone. Um, So I wonder if, you know, did they think that someone like the Reds or the Tigers were just going to like hide him on the bench and make him pinch run all season? (laughs) Like, I mean, it's conceivable. He stole 55 bases last year. Like that's, People have turned score on the roster. Yeah, that's true. But like for a whole year, I'm just curious what they thought the what what what's the universe where like they never got him back. And I I guess that's that's you know that speaks to how much they believe in him. They thought that there was a, there was a decent chance he would not only make a roster but be good enough to stay there all year, and we would not see him again. Love it. All right. Well, in the interest of in the interest of time, I'll do my last one so we can wrap up here. Um, my other pick was third base, first baseman for the Modesto Nuts in 2022. I'm hoping he's going to be in double A this year in 2023. Tyler Locklear, Seattle's That's second round draft pick last year. I just yeah. think the dude can hit straight up. I watched a little bit of footage on him uh, even before we talked about this today. Dude rakes. He had an incredible uh, pair of seasons his last two years at VCU. 36 home runs combined in 2022 and 2021. Um, Took him to a pair of conference titles. I just think he's going to hit. I really do. He reminds me a little bit of Kyle Seager. He's a bigger profile because he's 6'3". But he has, I think he has the profile to hit 240, 250, uh, 20 to 30 home runs in... The Mariners don't need a third baseman right now. Eugenio Suarez is obviously like the greatest thing that's ever happened to us in, in some <laughs> respects. But uh, but he's old. Yeah, I think he's a really interesting. He could be a potential trade piece if he has a big year, um, you know, with somebody like Dollard or uh, Miller getting traded out. He could be kind of in that discussion. But if not, I think he's a really, really solid depth piece to develop and see where he goes. And he's one of the best pure hitters that's not a prospect like Julio or Jared that the Mariners have had in some time, in my opinion. I think he's much better than, for example, Zach Deloach, who the Mariners still kind of talk about as though he's going to be a thing, and I still don't see it, and he hasn't really put it together since, I believe he broke out in the Cape Cod League before he was drafted in 2020. Uh, maybe it was a Linux League, excuse me if I'm wrong about that, but um, I'm much more interested in Tyler Locklear than Deloach or some of the other guys I've seen them take, uh, Jake Shiner, who are kind of in that same mold. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, Jake Shiner's like, what, he's like 29. <laughs> I would definitely be betting on the, the Tyler Locklears of the world over someone like that. But I agree. I think I'm trying to confirm he also went to the high-performance camp, I'm pretty sure. Um, I think that's a great pick. He was another guy I strongly considered including. Um, I I don't know how how into the like the fantasy scene you guys are, but because I'm in two dynasty baseball leagues now, I follow a bunch of prospect people that are like national prospect people. And because of that, like, I'm surprised when they talk about Mariners like last year, Edwin Arroyo started to get some buzz among those people. And I was like, Oh, this is, 
You know, this isn't just like us with the rose colored glasses. This is like a player people believe in. And I saw a lot of chatter among national prospect people this winter about Tyler Locklear. And that was super shocking to me because I don't even think Mariners people have been talking about him that much this winter. Um, usually we're the first people to jump on, you know, like uh, a, a young prospect who's breaking out. But I guess, you know, his his numbers, as you said, Evan and VCU were like, unreal like his exit velocities were off the charts for someone in that in that league for someone in you know in college baseball in general um and he continued to put together those results in in single a i think that this is a guy who is like got the potential to be like a slept on uh hitter who who i guess in the kind of the same mold that like a mitch hanniger or like you know cooper hummel right now is like a guy who isn't going to make the top 100 lists, but he's going to be an everyday impact player um, in the same kind of mold as those two guys. Uh, hopefully, I guess with Hummel. Um, so I'm super curious to see if he if he puts it together. And you know, I, I do think there's a scenario where he is like a late summer to September call up if he's really tearing it up. You know, by that point. Um, but I, either way, it's just it's just fun to have like a, a hitter, like a real hitter in the minors to be looking at and not to say that like Harry Ford and Cole Young aren't real hitters, but they're like five years away and Tyler Locklear might not be. Yeah. We can use a little hope on that front. It, um, you know, we talk about the Dylan Moore injury opening up space for Cooper Hummel. Like it's a good thing. It does because, uh, the Cooper Hummel's there because the, the cupboard is thin after that. Agreed. It is thin. Um, Anything else for today, guys? I think we should wrap it there. That was a really good discussion. I think we got, we dug a little bit on some of the prospects. We actually, you know, we've talked so much about the major league team the last couple of years that I've, I've liked moving away from the prospects a little bit, but it is fun to, you know, hang with the boys and look back a little bit and uh, see who's coming up because I don't miss prospect watching quite so much because the team has been more fun, but uh, there are some names here that I do like a lot. I think that much has been made of the Mariners prospects, uh, the farm system rankings not being as good as they were obviously a couple years ago. And yeah, what are you going to do when you graduate Logan, uh, Julio, Jared and, and Kirby, like in the same two year span, it's just like, that's, that's insane guys. We have to be grateful for that because again, like it, it would be genuinely difficult to have gotten more out of Julio and Kirby in particular last year. That is a 10 out of 10, 99th percentile return on your prospects for rookies, right? Like, yeah, it is. So anyway, we'll wrap it there for today. Uh, I'm Evan James. You can find me on Twitter at Evan James Audio. You can find Durs at uh, Anders Jorstad. Uh, Zach, I'm not looking at Twitter right now. What's your handle? <laughs> it's a uh, real Zach Mason. Uh, Zach the real, H. real Zach Mason. Um, yeah, we're going to be doing multiple episodes every week going forward. Being at the Mitt podcast. Uh, thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time.